You're listening to the Lockdown Nuggets Podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from DenverStiffs.com, Adam Mottes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Lockdown Nuggets Podcast, part of the Lockdown NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mottes from DenverStiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Today's episode of the show, a somber one a little bit. I don't know if it's a somber one. In the moment, it was a somber one. And not Sambor is in Sambor, Serbia. Sambor is in sad, kind of dejected, but I don't think too down. I mean, the Nuggets are down, but they are not out. They drop game six, their first opportunity at closing out the series. They drop it 120 to 103 in San Antonio. And, you know, there's some good, some bad, some ugly to kind of take away from this. So in today's show, maybe a little bit on the shorter end, going to go through my notes on this game. I don't think that this game had a whole lot of complexity to it, so my notebook is actually smaller than usual. I think the skinny of it is that the San Antonio Spurs at home are a very good team. They're the, I think, third best home team during the regular season. Um, They shoot the ball really well, and this was a game where I thought they were able to get settled in and get comfortable early, and it paid dividends late um, as they just just rolled 120 points is an awful lot. You got uh, great efficiency, 63% from the field, um, and actually better than that even. I think I have this wrong here. Um, I know from the mid-range, from 10 to 19 feet, the Spurs were 20 of 26, uh, so just absolutely on fire from the mid-range zone. So 57% from the field, 42, 41.7% from the three-point line. Um, just a really hot shooting night. But um, as I like to do after games, I don't want to just give an overview summary. I don't want to go play-by-play. I want to go through kind of the things that stuck out to me. And so to get started, um, to open this game, you know, Jokic, this was one of, if not Yo- the single best game of Jokic's career. I don't. I would not put it up there. I probably have a few other games ahead of it. But if you just factor in the stakes... Um, you factor in the level of competition, you know, a, a good Spurs team playing at home, uh, a playoff atmosphere, do or die. You know, it's very, very easy to make the case. It's his highest scoring output. It's actually a franchise, a Denver Nuggets franchise record for most points scored in a playoff game, which is just incredible. I mean, win or lose game seven, I, Jokic, I think, has solidified his his sort of reputation and his ability to play at, at the highest level. Um. This has been a great series, and this was such a great game that it feels almost ominous. I hope it is not foreshadowing for something to come because Jokic was so good and so dominant that it was a letdown by every single member of the team. You could say maybe not Gary Harris, who I thought had a, a pretty solid game, um, but everybody else I thought, what a disappointment, what a letdown for one of the best performances we've seen in a Denver Nuggets uniform. Honestly, you can make that case. Um, the highest-scoring playoff Uh, total. On top of that, you had 12 rebounds, nine assists, and just everything that he did in this game. This might have been, um, it's probably a top five, top 10 Denver Nuggets performance in in history. So um, painful that it comes, not just in a loss, but let's be honest, in a blowout loss. Now, granted, it was a close game going into the fourth quarter, um, but that fourth quarter really opened it up and, 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 and so it was painful. But Jokic, you wouldn't have guessed it. if As I went back to watch it, I almost forgot um, the first three plays of this game, Jokic misses a, a, a bunny, an easy shot. He's missed a lot of those um, in this series so far. I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that. As well as he shot, he could have even been up a, a couple percentage points higher but with the amount of just bunnies he misses. But he misses a bunny, then he gives kind of a frustration foul, and then the next play he has a turnover. So 
back-to-back-to-back plays to open this game. He was kind of cold. LaMarcus Aldridge was on fire, and I mentioned a big storyline, if not the storyline for me in this in this game, was just how well San Antonio shot the ball. In many cases, despite Denver's you know somewhat solid defensive performance, I'm going to talk about Torrey Craig and and a couple others, but um, you know, decent defense. Not the type of defense that you would think would allow 57% shooting. DeMar DeRozan, 12 of 16 from the field. LaMarcus Aldridge, 10 of 18. Um, those two guys were just on fire. And Aldridge, 13 points in the first quarter alone. He was on fire. He was just hitting that fall away. I've talked about this before, but Aldridge down on that left block or left elbow, um, he really only has two moves. He tries to attack you going to his right. He tries to get outside your left shoulder and get into the paint, draw the foul. He whips his head back, does the uh, the Chris Paul flail where you know there, there is contact, so it's not like he's – he usually does it when he actually does draw the foul to accentuate it, but he tries to get to that outside shoulder and attack the paint. Well, if you wall that off, he tries to do the fadeaway. The key to him is playing positional so that he doesn't – that fadeaway is a 16-, 17-footer, not a 12-footer. Um, and I thought the Nuggets did a decent job of that, but he was just on fire with that shot tonight. He hit a lot of fallaways, and sometimes you just have to tip your hat to him. Um, Torrey Craig, so I want to talk a lot about him. He was not very good on DeMar DeRozan tonight. And, you know, he's in the game clearly. The, the advantage, the thing that's kind of changed the series around was – reinstating or, or putting him in the starting lineup over Will Barton to allow him to shut down DeRozan. Well, tonight, 12 of 16 from the field for DeMar DeRozan, seven rebounds, seven assists. DeMar got where he wanted and did what he wanted tonight and then got in a groove. Um, he played the facilitator role early. In the second half, he started getting to his spots and scoring. Torrey Craig gives him a lot of space. And I'm not sure why. I don't remember him doing this in, in previous games. I think in the previous two games, Denver had come out like a very hungry team, a very desperate team. I thought this game, if you compared it just from like a desperation standpoint and the way that desperation and that hunger manifests itself um, is usually on the defensive end. You see teams that are just locked in, trying to get into people's space. Torrey Craig was sagging off DeRozan and kind of playing flat-footed a lot tonight, and it allowed DeRozan to kind of get to his spots. Again, similar to LaMarcus Aldridge, they're players that like to get to their spots and use their move. They like to they have prepackaged moves they like to go to, and you got to crowd their spots or crowd their space. You got to force them off their spots. Torrey Craig, I thought this game did a really bad job of of sort of being into him. Malone uses the phrase "make them feel you," where I don't think DeRozan really felt Torrey Craig tonight. He kind of just danced around him, and, and Craig, I thought, let him do that. So if Torrey Craig's going to be in the starting lineup, which I think he should be, um, he's got to play a lot better defense. There's not. His offense is so hit or miss, and usually miss, to be honest with you, um, that his defense really has to be elite, and it was not that tonight. Um, Jokic will get a lot of looks from three in Game 7, and he's been knocking them down in the series. I think he's at 38.5% uh, on the series. Um, but I I kind of I go back and forth on this. He took six threes tonight, um, and he went two of six, which is a decent percentage. I think he's going to get quite a bit of these because the Spurs now, the game plan, I think both teams' game plans are out. I don't think there was anything that happened in this game um, that I noticed, at least on, on first and second watch, that, that was like, ooh, that's an adjustment. That's a big adjustment the teams have made. Um, I, think the, I think both teams kind of know each other pretty well at this point. They're going to allow Jokic a lot of those pick-and-pop three-pointers, and I think he's done a, a pretty good job of using smart shot selection. I know some fans groan when he passes up some of the really wide-open ones, but I think one of the things we complain about with Will Barton and Jamal Murray on occasion is 
you know, they, they sometimes don't read the temperature of, of the flow of the game. So a pull-up three in transition, even when you're open, when you're up and on a run, that shot works. When you're down and can't get anything going, maybe maybe use a possession to work. Well, I think Jokic, he passes up a lot of those threes to kind of say, no, I'm going to settle the team. We're going to run a good possession here, and I think that's smart. In game seven, he's going to have to be extra sensitive to just um, when to take those, and quite frankly, he's going to have to knock them down. If he can... He's going to get six or seven three-pointers in game seven. I think if he hits four of them or more, I think Denver's winning. Um, if he gets two of them or less, you know, it's going to get dicey for Denver. So one of the storylines is just how much space they, they uh, the Spurs continue to give him on that. I want to go on to, to more of these details, but before I do... I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter because hiring used to be so hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. The internet's all about bringing people together. My show, I hope, is about bringing Nuggets fans together. Well, ZipRecruiter is all about bringing jobs to to people, people to jobs. Um, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With the powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within, hear this, the first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Um, it's the smartest way to hire people. So check it out. Jamal Murray went scoreless in the first quarter. And that's this team really does, I think, often go the way that, uh, Murray goes because Jokic has been so consistently great. You need that secondary playmaker. And there's a lot of guys that can be that guy, but Jamal Murray just seems to have the biggest impact when he, I shouldn't say the nuggets go the way he goes when he plays well, the nuggets almost always win. And, and I don't, I don't mean like, well, as an okay, when he plays really well, when he has a good game, an above average game, the nuggets seem to win a lot of those. He had great looks in this one. And this is part of the problem with Jamal Murray. You know, Two games in a row now, you look at him and you go, man, he's turned a corner. He's he's always in the right spot. He's making great plays. And I thought he had some good passes. He had some good like floor general game to him tonight, but just not making shots. And the type of looks he got were A-plus looks. I mean, he got some wide-open three-point shots, uh, one for five from the three-point line on some really good looks. And that's just a killer. And part of it is you have to take a step back. You have to take a deep breath and say, okay, he's 22. But I am one of the people that is of the belief, you know, I I think I I like to step back and kind of look big picture at this team and temper expectations and be smart about it. But I do think that there is, um, you don't want to be in the habit of of talking about how young you are too much. And Jamal Murray, he's capable of being more consistent than this. He's not consistent. And 
I, I, it's not, it's not that it's not understandable, but it's just not something that I want to keep going to that well and making that excuse time and time again. So tonight was one of those games. Great looks, um, great shooters knock down the type of looks he does with with much more consistency. And unfortunately, this was a bit of a no show from a shooting standpoint from him. Um, the Spurs were just the aggressor in the first quarter, though. They get up to a ten point lead. You knew that this game was going to be the Spurs getting off to an early lead. If Denver was leading after one, I would have been shocked. Absolutely shocked. You figured coming into this one, Spurs are going to take a lead. Um, let's see how Denver responds. So they get up 10. You feel okay, that, hoping it wasn't that many, but but Denver can still be in this. Second quarter begins, and that second unit did such a great job. Five quick points to start the second. A Torrey Craig three, um, and then a run out for, for Monte Morris uh, for a layup, and Spurs call a quick timeout. So it, it was one of those things where Denver needed to bounce back, and they bounced back in like 20 seconds. So um, it, it was almost like you reset the game. They're down five, but they're right back in it. The second unit brought great pace into the game, and that's their key. Now, the second unit was terrible in their second stint today. One thing I want to draw your attention to, for most of these guys, um, Mason Plumley, eight minutes tonight. Part of that was his own doing. I mean, the, the foul trouble, he just, I don't, three fouls in three minutes, and some of these fouls are just dumb fouls. It, it's a killer. It's a killer to pick up some of these fouls that he has. He is, Mason Plumley's had a really disappointing playoffs. And I was talking to a lot of people online about this the other day. Part of it is you're not really surprised because the playoffs tend to feature fewer and fewer multi-big lineups. Denver already plays a, a lot of those with Jokic and and, and uh, uh, Millsap. So you, you already think, okay, it's going to be tight, hard to fit him into the rotation. He's not going to be, you know, well. But these moments, these moments like the ones to open up the second quarter, these are just him replacing Jokic. After the game, Malone talked about, you know, they, they and I'm going to talk about this more later on. Oh, we gave Jokic a rest, and every time you rest, maybe I got to play him 48 minutes. Um, but every time I give him a rest, you feel like you're holding your breath. Mason Plumlee's a starting caliber center. I mean, that's that's the wrap on. That's what he's been all year. He's going up against Jakob Pertl. He should be able to play more than eight minutes without being a complete and total liability. And and so as much as I understand that his minutes have been reduced, and you know he hasn't he hasn't been great, and I don't expect it. He should be a lot better and a lot more impactful. You shouldn't feel like you're holding your breath when he's out on the court for Jokic. And unfortunately, that's what he's been. I don't know what's going on with him, but I think he is actually sneaky and important player for the Nuggets in Game 7 because as much as the idea of playing Jokic 48 minutes sounds great, um, you, you can't afford that. Uh, you know, He might not... You might cost yourself a fourth quarter Jokic if, if you try to play him too many minutes. So if Plumlee can go out there and not pick up three fouls in three minutes and be a complete negative, if he can just buy you four or five minutes of rest um, in that first half, it's going to go a long way to saving Yoke down the stretch, especially if it's only one day off in between these games. Um, the second unit brought pace, though, and that's the one thing that they can do. Now, I was going to say, these guys playing small minutes, I do think it's hard for bench guys to sit for what basically amounts to 50 minutes, maybe an hour of minutes of real time, not clock time, but real time between stints. They go in, you know, they do their warm up, they sit for about 20 minutes, they go on the court for for maybe 10 total real time minutes, then they sit on the bench for another 50 minutes to an hour. It's in the regular season, the breaks aren't that long. You play for long, the bench units play for longer, and the breaks in between when they get in and off the court is is shorter. Well, in the playoffs, because the starters are playing so much, you're asking guys like Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, Mason Plumlee, Will Barton. You're asking those guys sit down for an hour, then go in and play, then sit down for another hour, then go in and play it. It's just I, I understand why the rhythm's off. Now, the flip side of that is 
it's the same rhythm for the the other team. Um, you know, Bellinelli, 20 minutes tonight. He has a huge impact, 2 of 4 from the three-point line. So uh, I only bring that up to say the bench, I'm not surprised that they are pretty inconsistent, but that doesn't mean they're the X factor. I would go as far as to say I think in Game 7, where anything can happen, the game will be decided by the others. I think Jokic, Aldridge, DeRozan, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, probably even Jamal Murray, I think all of those guys are going to have pretty solid games. Um, it's really going to come down to what happens to all those other guys. Are, who, who's able to, you know, Jakob Pertl, I think he'll be regular as he's always been in this series. It's going to come down to who's going to make their shots. Is it going to be Bellinelli? Is it going to be Bryn Forbes? Is it going to be Malik Beasley? That, that's what I'm curious to see. And Mason Plumlee even in there, um, obviously not three-pointers, but can he just give you something? Rudy Gay was the X factor in this one. I mean, he's had a terrible series. The worst plus minus, probably not true anymore, but coming into this, the worst plus minus, actually it might be, he was only at plus nine, but um, he's just been really, really bad. He goes seven for 11 tonight, including three for three from the three-point line, gets 19 points, um, third leading scorer on their team, and he was the X factor. Um, if he is out of his slump, and who knows, this was a home game, now they're going to have to go on the road. Everybody always shoots worse on the road. Um, but him being out of his slump really swings things. It makes it makes the Spurs a lot more deadly because he's a guy that I think the Nuggets have gotten away with just not having to guard too much in this series. Um, Jokic can't get a foul call on Pirtle. So there's a crazy stat. And and I don't like being the guy that, that complains about foul. You, you've heard this before. I almost never bring up the officiating. And I don't think the officiating was bad in this game. Um, like, net, like egregiously bad. I don't think it was the reason that they lost. But in Game 7, Jokic had... Or, uh, going into Game 7, Jokic is going to have to get a little bit more respect than I think he traditionally gets. He had 20 field goal attempts in the paint tonight. He had four free throw attempts. And this happens all the time. There's one play in particular that I, I have here. He is very clearly fouled on two plays by Jakob Pertl. And it would have been a big moment because Jakob Pertl, I think at the time, had one or two fouls with a lot of time to go in the second quarter. You know, getting him off the court goes a long way towards Denver, you know, sort of really gaining an advantage because they don't have, the Spurs don't have like great options to defend Jokic behind Pertl. Well, he just, he rakes Jokic across the arm just so, so blatantly. And then Rudy Gay, I think it was, you know, reaches in for kind of another slap. The ball goes out of bounds. So Nuggets retain possession, but it was one of those plays where you just think, man, what is it going to take for this guy? This Jokic character, 43 points in a game, just easily the best player in this series by a country mile. And the guy can't get to the line more than four times. He touches the ball in every single possession. He leads the playoffs in touches per game and he gets to the line four times in a game. Um, and that's like his average for the season. So it, it was really weird. Look at his shot chart. Look at how many touches he had in the paint and, and try to make sense of the fact that he only got four free throw attempts. It's it's it certainly this was a game where I thought it was frustrating, but more to the point, um, I think that the Nuggets need to really be lobbying hard with some of these missed calls from the last couple games and just say, look, this guy's clearly the best player. Um, he needs to start getting the benefit of the doubt on some of these calls inside. Derek White picked up his third foul. So this is the second straight game. The Nuggets have managed to get Derek White in foul trouble. And, you know, Derek White locked up Jamal Murray in those first three games of the season. Since then, the Nuggets have either found a way to attack him um, or, you know, just been aggressive or the whistle just hasn't gone his way because he has gotten himself into foul trouble trying to pressure Jamal Murray. And, um, you know... Early in the season, you're allowed to get physical, and he was smart about how to do it. I think Murray kind of on his heels more often than not. Now being in attack mode, Derek White has picked up fouls. Now here's the problem. He goes out. I think there's four minutes or five minutes to go in the, in the, in the half. Nuggets basically even. I think they're only down for a little bit. This is the moment you get to go and attack um, 
they don't have a point guard behind him that can really contain. Patty Mills, a good, he's a good player in a, as a backup point guard in a change of pace, but he can't defensively. There's a big drop off there, especially when you talk about just walling off the paint. Um, so the Nuggets needed to go on a run here. I thought when that happened, I thought the Nuggets, if they can take like a six or seven, they're down three points, five or six minutes to go. If they can take a, a six or seven point lead into the half, this game, it won't be over, but it'll tilt in Denver's favor like 70-30, 75-25 maybe. Unfortunately, very first play, Derek White goes to the bench. Jokic catches the ball. Now he had hit a couple threes, I think, before this, but he kind of heat checks a contested three with Pirtle in his face with 11 seconds on the clock. Jokic is usually so great. I just talked about how his shot selection is so great, but that was a possession at a very key moment that I thought set the tone for the final six minutes. Denver had a golden opportunity and they squandered it in that moment. And I thought it really started with that one shot that kind of just set a tone for, oh, okay, we're going to settle right here. But the Nuggets did get the lead with four minutes to go. Um, it was back and forth from there. You, th- you kind of felt like, oh, man, they got the lead. Maybe there's no looking back. But that was not the case. Back and forth. And to close out the half, here's where here's where, here's where you only get so many opportunities in a game. And I know this game turned out to be a 17-point loss for the Nuggets. But here's a moment where White's on the bench. The Nuggets have a chance to go on a run. They take their first lead. Rudy Gay hits back-to-back threes. And Marco Bellinelli gets fouled shooting a three. That's a 9-0 swing. Um, and then the, in the in the half, uh, Demar Derozan gets kind of a, a a tough whistle against Denver, but you know what happens? I don't I don't think it was like a, you could call it a 50-50 call. He goes to the line, misses one or makes one free throw, misses the next, gets the rebound and puts it in three points. So Denver goes from down one to down four, and that was just an absolute killer. Um, those are the type of plays that in a when Denver was hungry and showing a sense of urgency, they weren't giving up offensive rebounds with one second on the clock to, to have that three-point swing. They weren't giving fouls at the three-point line by just running into guys or not guarding guys on the perimeter. So th- those are the types of things that really cost you. Opening up the second half, Jakob Pertl catches Jamal Murray with that knee, that knee right to the thigh. This is now the third time it's happened. So this happened after game three. Malone, I, I was there in San Antonio, and Malone, you know, speaking to the media, talked about this dirty play, these dirty screens that Pertl was setting. And I went on this show, and I said, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, he, he puts a little lean into it, so if they're trying to bring attention to that, I get it. But I don't think it's dirty. Now, I still don't think it's dirty. I don't think Jakob Pertl is trying to hurt anyone. But these penalties need to be these need to be flagrant calls. This is now the third player. Well, it's actually the second player, but the third time. Gary Harris twice, now Jamal Murray once. The third time that a Nuggets player has had to come, you know, Nuggets have had to call a timeout to tend to a player who went down from one of these plays. Again, I don't think Jakob Pertl is trying to hurt anybody, but he's clearly trying to set an el- a deliberately illegal screen that I would call reckless. Um, it's a reckless move to stick your knee right into somebody. I, I, at first, I thought... You know, it was a knee-to-knee contact, and with, you know, guys this athletic and this strong and just weigh this much, you know, you catch somebody with the wrong one, that's a torn MCL, or, or you know, the knee bends the wrong way. So um, I, I, I kind of feel silly for not actually thinking this these, these plays were 
um, intentional or, or, or dirty or whatever. And again, I don't think it's dirty. I don't think he's trying to hurt somebody. It's not like Zaza Pachulia sticking the foot under people or, you know, doing reckless things. Um, but I do think that this one is just a dangerous play. It's a dangerous play that needs to be called for what it is. And the fact that it has happened, that he's now, he actually didn't get called for this one. That's the other crazy thing is he wasn't even called for the penalty. You watch the replay and you're like, of course, look at him. This is, it's not even like a natural standing position. He's got like one knee bent right into him. So, um, I think the Nuggets, again, Malone, if there was ever a time to get a fine, talking about Jokic and just the, how little respect he gets inside, but then also pointing this out because Jakob Pertl, again, I think there's there's four irreplaceable players for the Spurs. Derek White, Jakob Pertl, DeMar DeRozan, and LaMarcus Aldridge. And Aldridge and DeRozan obviously do all of the heavy lifting with the scoring. But Pertl's the only guy that can defend the interior. Derek White, the only guy that can defend the perimeter. And, you know, any types of fouls to those guys is big. And then in addition to that, you know, Pirtle setting these screens all over the court, these dangerous screens, um, that's a huge advantage. So it, it was actually, I, w- I was actually pretty frustrated seeing that one and then seeing it go un- uncalled. Malone, um, you could just see, I thought he was going to punch a referee at this one. And, and to be fair, <laughs> they kind of deserved it. That was an egregious miscall. DeMar DeRozan was on fire. Uh, Torrey Craig just not dialed in offensively. And this is why I talk about if he's not going to be able to guard Craig, you might just give his minutes to Beasley. And I know you don't want to make those kind of knee-jerk reactions, but he, Torrey Craig, I've, I've talked about this a lot throughout the course of the season. Um, he's a very frustrating offensive player. And I think Jokic gets m- more frustrated with him than maybe any other player just in terms of trying to read the court. Jokic is a guy that if you do the right thing, he will find you. Well, Torrey Craig, he, he mistimes his cuts. He cuts and then stops. There was a play that I'm thinking of that made me take this note. He's standing in the three-point spot. Jokic isn't looking at him because Jokic sees with his peripheral vision. I mean, he almost never looks when he throws these cross-court passes. And Torrey Craig just, for whatever reason, takes a step inside the three-point line. Jokic rifles a shot to him, and he has to basically do a jump back into a three-pointer that had no chance of going in. But what was he doing one step inside the three-point line anyway? It was Torrey Craig is just a player that, for whatever reason, always he's not dialed in. He's never really ready for where he's supposed to be. There was another one on the break. Uh, Jokic is running the break. Derek White blocks him. If you rewatch the play, Torrey Craig runs to right the front of the rim and then just stops. So Jokic kind of runs into his guy. And then Torrey Craig sprints to the three-point line, but it's too late by that point. Um, it's just one of those plays where it's like, I've said this before. I think half of Jokic's turnovers on the season involve Torrey Craig in some capacity. So I think this is kind of an aside, but Denver, Will Barton is not the answer at small forward. Torrey Craig is not the answer. Malik Beasley is not the answer. Malik Beasley, I think, is your backup small uh, shooting guard. The Nuggets this offseason, one of the things that I think is crystal clear, especially from these playoffs, but it was crystal clear even before that, the Nuggets have a real glaring weakness on the wing. They have a glaring weakness defensively, but also just from a size perspective. And I don't know what the Denver's plan is, um, you know, what their flexibility, what it looks like. Maybe Michael Porter Jr. is the guy they want to hold their breath for one more year while he kind of becomes that guy. But whatever the plan is, Denver... Um, I think is going to be limited and sort of be an inconsistent team until they solve whatever that small forward spot's going to be. Um, Torrey Craig, by the way, six points over the last two games. So I know on on one angle of looking at this, you know, Torrey Craig only one field goal attempt. Like, oh, selfless of him to not take an attempt, and the Nuggets' offense was rolling, and he just played his role. And that that is a true narrative. It's not. I'm not bringing this up to say it's false, but the other side of the coin is 
on nights when Denver needs some scoring, Torrey Craig just can't do it. Uh, it he had a layup, a, a pick and roll layup today that he shot left-handed that overshot the rim by like six feet. So he's just not that guy. He's a, he can be a liability in these moments. Jokic got rolling in this third quarter. I think he had 17 points in the third quarter. Um, and the one that turned it, uh, that really got things going, let's see, yeah, he had 17 points on eight of nine shooting. No free throw attempts, of course. Um, but the shot that got him, he had a fall away on, on Aldridge. And from that point on, you thought, oh, God, yeah, he's going to make everything. He's in a, he's in his groove. Um, the Nuggets scored almost every time down, but they just couldn't get stops. It felt like the Nuggets offense, if they could have just gotten like five or six stops over – eight or nine possessions, they would have really gone on a nice run and taken a lead and got momentum, but they couldn't get any stops. DeMar DeRozan was on fire, so Jokic has 17. DeMar DeRozan has 14, so they almost canceled each other out. And again, DeRozan just being, it was just such a comfortable, I thought Jokic was working hard for his buckets. I thought DeRozan was getting right to his spots and getting the easy ones. The Nuggets' defense on him tonight, not very good at all. The Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll was working very well tonight. Their two-man game uh, was great, and it actually has been for the last three games. Some I talked about it on Denver Stiffs today. I did a deep dive with video. You can check that out. Um, they've done some things to kind of change and force the Spurs to guard them differently, and as a result, it's opened up some of those pocket passes into the paint. Well, that game was really working well for the Nuggets tonight. Murray does take too many floaters rather than pull-up jumpers, and I don't remember him doing this all year. I think Derek White's a little bit in his head because of those chase-down blocks, but he there was a bunch of times today where he could have kind of set his feet and gone into that free-throw line pull-up jumper off two feet that I think he's really good at. He's good at his floater, but I would be shocked if his floater was as good as his pull-up jumper. Um, Derek White did hit a three in this quarter. It bounced really high, and it was like kind of a lucky bounce and goes in. And Jamal Murray dribbles down full speed, then does a step-back three-pointer. And that was the one time where I felt like, man, is Jamal trying to get into a battle here with Derek White? We know he takes that matchup personally. Um, but it was a big moment, too, because I mentioned that Denver and the Spurs kept scoring. Nobody could get a stop. Well, that was kind of a self-stop for Denver, and and Denver was three points behind, basically. They'd cut it to one, then Spurs back up to three, cut it to one, back to three. Well, that was one of those ones where Derek White hits a three, and then Jamal Murray comes down and misses, and then they come down and score, and now that game that was one possession back and forth became two or three possessions, and you think, okay, um, it, that that's why those kind of shots can really, really be tough. Nonetheless, the Nuggets stayed in it. They were down 85-88 to 88 when Jokic checked out, and this is, of course, the story of the game. He checks out with one minute to go uh, in, in the third quarter. You figure buy him three, four minutes of rest, and then he can close out, and you feel really good about your team if you can get him back in the game within three or four points, and, and you have eight, nine minutes to go. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Mason Plumley checked in and missed a wide-open layup. Um, Barton played like he had the yips, and I mean this sincere. I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek. I, 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 I wouldn't say something like this because I think it's, you know, I have too much respect for these guys as people, but Barton is playing like a guy who hasn't just lost all confidence. He kind of, he looks broken. He truly looks broken. He had um, a three-pointer that ricocheted off the back of the backboard, um, an open one, not even a contested one. He had a pass to Plumley that, he threw like a hundred miles per hour that no plumly like ducked from. And then he had a, a handoff where he just like somebody pitched the ball to him and he missed it. Um, it was a two foot pitch. Uh, it, it wasn't like it was a tough pass and he just missed the ball. So Barton just, just so bad and, and, and has been for so long that, um, you know, you, when he checks into the game, I think everybody kind of collectively feels like, Oh God, just don't blow it. Like just play average or something because you're, you're worried he's going to do something bad tonight. Again, it wasn't just on him. Um, <laughs> that whole second unit was a giant, a big giant zero. 
Um, but he was certainly one of the lead ball handlers and one of the lead, you know, guys the team was counting on to make plays and he didn't. In fact, he made some negative ones. The Nuggets were lucky that the Spurs didn't close that quarter. The one minute quarter, um, or the one minute that Jokic went down on a 9-0 run. It was only a 2-0 run. Bellinelli misses a three. Uh, I think somebody else missed a three. So, uh, Patty Mills misses a layup. There was chances for the Spurs to really open it up. Un- unfortunately, they opened it up immediately to start the, s- the fourth quarter and the Nuggets go down 96-85, 10-30 to go. Nuggets take a timeout. I think everybody on earth that was watching this game expected Nikola Jokic to check back in. The Nuggets are down 11. They were just down three when he checked out a minute and a half prior or two and a half minutes prior. You expect him to come back in because this is the game. You can't, you know, you can't save him any more time and say, oh, well, we need to buy him two more minutes. Two more minutes, the game might be over. And in fact, it was over. Um, but instead, they keep him on the bench for an extra couple minutes. Nuggets go down 13. And by the time he checks in, there's just nothing that even he could have done um, to save it. Nuggets end up falling behind by by 18 points and, and the rest is history. So a tough one for the Nuggets. Um, now they have to go back to Pepsi Center and win a game seven. I A couple games notes about game seven, then we'll get out of here. I expect the Nuggets, first of all, to be favored in that game, and I think they should be favored. I, I would expect the line will come out and they'll be favored somewhere around five, five and a half points. Now, anything can happen in a game seven, um, but being on a home on their home court, I think, gives them a huge edge. As I mentioned, the Nuggets have done a lot of good process things the last couple games. I thought the defensive intensity, if you look at the most natural um, adjustment or really just change between game six and game seven. I, I've alluded to it a lot. Denver did not look desperate or hungry tonight, and um, the Spurs got comfortable and made their shots. I don't think the Spurs necessarily looked like super hungry. They weren't like diving on floors and making crazy plays. They kind of just played their game. But Denver, I thought, was was just very relaxed, especially early on in this game. I expect, and who knows, game seven, who knows what to expect. I expect the Nuggets to be as aggressive, as dialed in, and as just playing for their lives as we have seen them. And when they do that, they win. This is why Paul Millsap guaranteed a win in game four, because he said, I know when we bring, you know, all of our effort, when we give a hundred percent, there's not very many teams that can beat us. Well, that's certainly true of this one. And it's disappointing that it didn't happen in game six, but I do think it'll happen in game seven. Um, all of this to be negative, but again, I've, as I've reminded you, and I'm going to close with, with reminding you one more time. Game sevens are fun. Basketball is fun. The NBA is fun. The Denver Nuggets are fun. And it sucks. The pressure, it sucks when they lose. And the immediate feelings and emotions you feel afterwards, they suck because that's the price you pay for the good feelings when your team wins. So I totally understand it. But at the same time, as you sort of go to bed and wake up on Friday and Saturday, kind of look at the sun and and, and the, the bright air, the bright spring, beautiful air, and remind yourself that this is the Denver Nuggets playing a game seven at home at Pepsi Center. You can go to the game and cheer people on. It's actually really cool. It's actually this cool thing that happens that the, this team that we love playing is playing on this giant high stakes uh, stage that everybody's going to be watching. And as much as it's, it's kind of a drag that they didn't close this thing away, um, there's a great opportunity for a story that you will tell your kids and grandkids um, to take place on Saturday night. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we'll be back again Saturday night with a brand new episode. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.